Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Positive Talk Podcast with co-hosts Julie Homridge and Chuck Allen. They are in Season 2, merging faith and psychology, and you picked a great day to join in the conversation. At Positive Talk Podcast, a licensed therapist and a pastor join voices to help us all discover a more peaceful and purpose-filled life. So settle in and join Julie and Chuck for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's a great day to find an encouraging and positive word here at the Positive Talk Podcast. And thanks so much for that introduction. Julie and I just wrapped up a two-part series on emotional meltdowns in children, and we discussed parenting styles and power struggles. So if that's something that you experience in your home, you can always go back and check out those episodes 16 and 17 at positivetalkpodcast.com or Apple, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. But today, we're going to discuss something that I think has truly been transformational in both of our lives, yeah. and we believe can be in yours as well. This practice can literally change your relationships, your own emotional health, and even, I learned, Julie, your physical health. Yeah, I'm actually really excited to talk about this today, Chuck, because as a therapist, it is so, so relevant to just people's day-to-day life needs and struggles. And I truly believe that if we are able to channel what we will discuss today, Mm -hmm. many of the challenges that I see in my office would be greatly reduced. Yeah, same here. You know, in the the concept of, um, you know, one of the things I write a lot about is how do you instigate better? Yeah. How do how do we have an impact mm-hmm. in our own sphere in our in our own abilities to make this world a better place? Yeah. It, let's face it, the the world truly is in a mess. Yeah. And we're proving day by day that screaming and shouting at one another is not making it better. It's making it worse. So I've been rolling around in my head this equation for weeks now, and I can't get past it that uh, clarity equals kindness. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the concept then, then what is clarity? Yeah. So clarity, I think for me, starts with an identity. Who are you? Mm -hmm. Can you actually be true to that person? But then can you speak and think with clarity? Mm -hmm. Meaning I can say what I mean, but I can mean what I can say. But inside of that, it it doesn't have to be angry. Say what you mean, mean what you say. How would I say say it mean? There you go. That's (laughs) what I'm looking for. Yeah. So, but if you think about it, Clarity really is kindness. Yeah. But I believe it breeds kindness. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, then where does kindness lead us? Because it sounds so squishy. Yeah. Right? So kindness, I believe, leads us to sympathy. Mm. Sympathy, of course, you know, you can explain this better later on, this cognitive you know, concept. Right, right. Yeah. But but sympathy then leads us to empathy. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, empathy is what will will literally change the world yeah because empathy at some point leads to compassion and that then that compassion becomes action action yeah Mm -hmm. isn't it interesting in all of that paul wrote in the new testament in the bible uh in this book called ephesians he said instead be kind to each other tender-hearted forgiving each other just as god through christ has forgiven you now that word tender-hearted literally if you break it all down is empathetic yeah So when you look at that, it it reminds me of the Nobel laureate Albert Schweitzer, who said, the purpose of human life is to serve and to show compassion and the will 
to help others, mm-hmm. which is the instigation part, mm-hmm. right? I have a will to help others. But the question is, what is compassion? Why is it so important? Why is it so lacking in the world? And what can we do to show more of it? Now, I used to think, Julie, that sympathy, empathy, and compassion were interchangeable words. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to distinguish between them. But but they are they are uniquely different, right? Yeah, they are. So um, I, I learned this, that sympathy is understanding what someone is going through. It's a bit of a cognitive sense of sadness or pain when we hear about somebody else's troubles. Right. I relate it as a, like, just as a, as a regular person, the sense of awe. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can, I mean, sympathy is, like you said, kind of more of a cognitive um, understanding of something, but it also keeps us um, having a little bit of space from the person. We feel Mm -hmm. sorry for the person. So I like to remember sympathy with sorry, because those are two S's. Yeah, so you see something from a distance and it's like, oh, I just feel so sorry for him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're still kind of in a position where they're separate from you and you're just feeling sorry for them. But that's very different than empathy. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. So so if, if if I can, in the clarity of the person that I've been created to be, kindness should come from me. Mm-hmm. That should lead to sympathy. Oh, I feel so sorry. Mm-hmm. Sympathy then can lead to empathy, which is an entirely different level, taking it another step further. It is, um, I guess for lack of a better term, it's viscerally feeling what another person feels. Yeah. And immersing yourself to more fully experience and understand what that other person is going through. Yeah. So we could say empathy is entering into someone else's experience. I see what so you did there. Got these little E's. Yes, sympathy, yeah. sorry, empathy, entering. Here. That's really good. But, you know, it requires, I think empathy requires a bit more of us mm-hmm. because yeah. it is very different noticing something from a distance versus entering into somebody else's experience. Right, um, right, right. And although it requires a bit more of us, empathy actually produces a much deeper connection than sympathy. Mm. So that connection then could easily, I think you really could make the case that this happens not not longitudinally, but cyclically. Well, and there's a process to it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because we do grow into compassion, I think. Mm-hmm. So compassion then takes sympathy and empathy yet another step further. And it might be recognizing someone else's pain and then entering into, as you described, feeling that pain mm-hmm. and then actively doing something that might ease or alleviate that pain. Right. Which would, uh, again, being a person that has a bias toward action, Mm -hmm. then I would think to myself that the key to compassion is how you act on that. Yes. Because in some ways, Mm -hmm. without action, there's no compassion. It stays at empathy. It stays, yeah, it stays at empathy. And that is our felt sense of what they're going through. But like you said, the next step is what are we going to do? Yeah, you know, in the the church setting, what happens a lot is... um, my wife and I, we, we call it patting the dog. Mm. You know, you, so from a distance, you have sympathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a little closer, you have some empathy. Mm-hmm. And you, you say things like, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And then you yeah. bolt. Yeah. It's, it halts the process right there. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Okay, now we're done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, re- I really do think like from a faith perspective, okay, that's just wrong. Yeah. Well, and I can see why people do that because they don't, a lot of times they don't know how to really enter into that compassion, that actionable, that's so compassionate true. state, which we're going to talk let's, about today. Let's try to address that. So so activating compassion in your life uh, in many ways is is healing to the world 
in which we live in. Mm-hmm. The, the key is that it's also incredibly good for you, both in a cellular level and mentally, emotionally. Yeah. Well, and you know, we don't act in compassionate ways for what we get out of it. But what's fascinating is that um, this is true on both a relational and a community level. But like you said, Chuck, on a cellular level, that God actually created our bodies to operate at their best when we are showing compassion. Mm -hmm. So here's why. Compassion is not only good for the hearts of those we serve, right? They're feeling good in their heart when we are showing compassion toward them, but it's good for our actual physical heart as well. I think it's so important for our listeners to, you may even want to hit that button on the device you're listening on that reels us back 15 seconds Mm -hmm. to hear that, how it is critically important for your health. Yeah. And uh, I think you'll unpack this in a minute, or, or I, I hope you'll unpack this, because when I heard you say that even things like um, our heart mm-hmm. or uh, even our joints. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens is that our bodies actually produce a hormone called oxytocin when we show compassion. And our physical hearts have these built-in receptors for Mm. oxytocin. So when oxytocin levels are high, like when we're feeling and experiencing compassion, our heart receptors, it takes in that oxytocin, and this hormone, it actually helps our heart cells regenerate and heal from damage that may have occurred. So oxytocin, it also serves as an anti-inflammatory, as an antioxidant. Um, Oxytocin also um, creates uh, an increase, a boost in um, your immune system when it's released. So there are all kinds of amazing benefits that come from the chemicals that are released when we are showing compassion to another person. I mean, the thought that oxytocin serves as an anti-inflammatory and an antioxidant. Mm-hmm. When when I think about how my body needs to have these regenerative processes constantly. Always, because our bodies are always breaking down, so yeah. there are things we can do to build them back up. I think to myself, um, we if, if you could bottle mm-hmm. sympathy, empathy, and compassion, mm-hmm. we would see the world's health improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to mention how we might could actually have a conversation with a neighbor rather than an argument mm-hmm. with a neighbor. Yeah. Or how we might be encouraging one another with what social media was actually intended to be on the front end mm-hmm. and not just killing people behind keyboards. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reminded that if you're a person of faith right now, I I would say remember that that the way the way that God has wired us is that He desires us to live and sympathy, empathy, and compassion, but it is not easy. No. Because no. the minute in this in our world in which we live in, those those words sound so incredibly soft. Yeah. We don't we we don't hold heroes up who who live with sympathy, empathy, and compassion until they die. Mm-hmm. And then when they die, we you know we impart sainthood on them. Right. Exactly. But you do look at people like Billy Graham, or you look at people like Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. and you think, okay, this is what sympathy, empathy, compassion looks like, mm-hmm. and and it happens, I think, more than we know because we don't celebrate. 
Yeah, yeah, and I think sometimes we idealize compassion and we forget that there's a process to get there and sometimes that's hard. Yeah, so, you know, and again, going back to my faith perspective as a pastor of a Christian church Mm -hmm. is the recognition that, you know, doing good things with the act of compassion, Mm -hmm. that's not really the end goal. Right. It is, um, it's the recognition that, you know, we, we come to know Christ by faith, not doing good things. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't become you know Christianly or even Christians by just good stuff. Right. At the same time, I do think our Creator wired us to do good works. Yeah, it's an overflow. So a lot of it is the intention. It's like if to go do good things without this process of sympathy, empathy, and compassion, we might just be doing good things, but the motive behind it, you may not get the benefit that you think you are. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so the motive behind it can be so so amazing. Toward the end of the Bible, there's a little book called James, and he makes this point. He says, what good is it if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Mm. I think that's what the world looks at Christian people like now. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what good are you to the world if all you're going to do is scream like everybody else? Right. Uh, tell me how incredibly wrong I am about everything else. Mm-hmm. But you don't actually go do act of compassion. Mm-hmm. So when I think about what that health could look like, sometimes I think we can put limits on our own capacity for extraordinary compassion. Yes, we can. It's almost like we have a governor on our compassion life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can convince ourselves that we're, we're too busy. We've got our own problems. We can't solve all of the world's problems on and on and on. And before long, we just shut down so we don't do anything. Right. And I think this is a really important concept, Chuck, that I'd like to pause on for a second here. Because When research scientists have studied compassion, they find that there is a process that unfolds as Mm. we experience this sympathy and then empathy and then moved to compassion, right? right? But that process can collapse at different points along the way, Mm -hmm. okay? So true compassion requires us to, first of all, pay attention um, because when we are preoccupied with our own lives, we won't even enter this process. Which is really go back to clarity, right? Mm -hmm. I I can't be clear with sympathy, empathy, and compassion if I'm buried in my phone. Right, if you don't know what's going on around yeah, you. right. But once we notice a need, be it whether it's the war in Ukraine or just a struggle of our next door neighbor, an interesting thing happens in the brain. So when we study what's happening in the brain during moments of compassion, this is what happens. When we notice that need and we start to feel that empathy, our distress or our threat circuitry actually lights up in the brain. Hmm. So we call it empathetic distress. And that's when we start to feel a bit of pain for someone else. Right? Wow. This is different. Yeah. the difference between just thinking, oh, too sad for them versus, wow, I'm really feeling a bit of your pain. And so at, in, in empathetic distress, is do you think that there's almost a... Uh... A physical urge. There's a physiological response to yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. To do something. Now, we have a lot of ways that we can stop the compassion process right there, right? right we could right. tell ourselves, oh, we call this cognitive reappraising. We could tell ourselves, oh, it's really not that bad. Or our biases of other groups can get in the mm-hmm. way. And so then that blocks it. Or we may feel we lack the resources to meet the need. So all of these are ways that the compassion process can collapse. Right. Now, if we are unwilling to feel that little bit of empathetic distress for someone else, 
the compassion process can collapse mm. as well. So this happens in church communities sure. a lot. Yeah. Um, we start to feel that empathetic distress, but we halt the compassion process by something we call spiritual bypassing, yep. which is kind of what you alluded to earlier. We just say, oh, I'll pray for you, or you should just check out this verse, instead of actually entering into the person's experience and yeah. listening yeah. to them. Um, so although prayer and Bible verses certainly have their place, mm-hmm. um, they're very important, this actual bypassing is one reason that I think many folks are turned off to church people. Absolutely. Because they think, well, these people speak about compassion, but I don't get this felt sense that they truly <laughs> embody it. That is such a big deal, Julie. I So in, early in my ministry career, I served at a really large megachurch, mm-hmm. and their byline was the caring place. Oh. Right? Um, so when, when, when a need wasn't met mm-hmm. or maybe we didn't handle things real well, yeah. what we'd hear a lot of is, and you call yourself so the, caring. the caring place. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you could, you could take one of two perspectives mm-hmm. on that. You, you could kind of bow up and get defensive about it, mm-hmm. or you could stop and say, wow, we did not meet that need. Yeah. Well, and I think it's very easy when we aren't sure what to say or what to do, because we are, you know just people who are figuring this out, we do try to do that spiritual bypassing thing, which is where we try to just, you know, ascribe some sort of spiritual explanation to a real physical, emotional, tangible need. Right. Um, And we're going to discuss next week a little bit more about this phenomenon of spiritual bypassing. Mm -hmm. something that I'm really passionate about. I know you're really interested in it. But I think sometimes we can just feel so overwhelmed with all Mm -hmm. the problems of the world that we don't really know where to start. And when that happens sometimes we don't do much of anything (laughs) that's right yeah yeah because we can get we can get frozen there and instead of overwhelming yourself my encouragement would be attempt to step into an act of compassion maybe one time in this next week Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i i I don't think we go from zero to compassionate no Mm -mm. um that's why this equation kind of wells up within us right Mm -hmm. so this concept of I can be clear about, yeah, Yeah. and be fully aware in the presence of where I'm at. And so I can be moved with kindness, Mm -hmm. develop sympathy from that empathy, out of that empathy, you know, active compassion. Right. But um, don't think that you have to go from, you know, from your, your job as a plumber to Mother Teresa. Yeah, well, and I think that that expectation can halt that compassion in and of itself. But like most things, we can train ourselves to be more compassionate. Obviously, there's the spiritual element of this, but just on a biological level, one of my favorite researchers, her name is um, Dr. Kelly McGonigal, Mm -hmm. and she's where I I reference her quite a bit. Um, But she researches at Stanford University, and she actually hosts a class called Compassion Training. Wow. And that utilizes what we know about how the brain experiences compassion, and it teaches people how to grow that neural circuitry in your brain so that it makes it a more automatic response to lean in to those who are suffering versus leaning out or yeah, ignoring yeah. or blocking. Yeah. One of the things uh, that I think is important when we hear things like compassion training, I think, I, I really think there are a lot of people out there like, oh gosh, you know, <laughs> with one more thing for me to have to attend that, uh, but understanding that this is a health benefit for you. Yeah. And it all starts within your brain. And no matter who you are, 
you have this capacity within you. Yeah. Well, there's so much research about how people who show compassion and volunteer and right. those kind of things live longer lives. Absolutely. Overall. So, but I think it's important to remember the key is not just thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just feeling it. Right. It's actively doing mm -hmm. something because you go from empathy into that active compassion. Mm -hmm. And in that is where those healing properties occur mm -hmm. and the world becomes better. Yeah. But, but again, remember that this compassion is often birthed in the raw feelings of sympathy and then true empathy. Yeah, and Chuck, I think that word raw is really important because sometimes we um, we idealize compassion. Yeah, absolutely. So we think or we have this idea that it's supposed to be this warm, fuzzy feeling all the time. And this misconception is actually kind of dangerous because when we have that expectation and it doesn't feel that way, we mm -hmm. might bail. Yep. Right. But some of the most deeply compassionate people have experienced great pain mm -hmm. to get there. You think about yeah. Mother Teresa, you think about, you know, people who have who, who are truly empathetic, they, mm -hmm. they've experienced that empathetic distress because that's what moves them to compassion. And so if you're a person who's attempting to avoid any kind of pain at all costs, you won't be fully compassionate because you'll get stuck at that empathetic distress phase I right. mentioned earlier, and instead of leaning into it, you'll shut down. Right. However, if you're seeking deep purpose and connection in your life, compassion is actually shown to help provide that. Wow. So the brain studies of those experiencing compassion, they show that there are multiple areas of the brain being activated when somebody feels and acts in a compassionate hmm. way. There's that area of distress, right? Because right? you're right. entering into their pain, but there's also the area of hope that hmm. is activated. So when you are experiencing compassion and you have that sense of connection to the suffering, um, either your own or someone else's, we see a very strong neural response connected to hope. Right. So I suppose the question I would ask is, do I want to live an easy life without deeper purpose, or do I want to take the risk to enter into a state of compassion and experience and give the depths of hope and connection that come with that risk? I feel like that question is probably an entire podcast in and of itself mm -hmm. because it's such a worthwhile question to start every day with. Right. Uh, because this is not like a one-and-done decision. Mm -hmm. I mean, th these are... Uh, yeah, because it's it, it's not unlike a garden, right? I mean, we're we're yeah. at planting season, and uh, it when when the seed of compassion really is acted on, cared for, and nurtured, mm -hmm. then it really does bloom and grow into something that allows uh, you to experience a deeper sense of abiding love. Yeah, and I I know that doesn't sound like for for a lot of the people listening, it's like okay, I don't need one more love statement from some <laughs> pastor, but I do. I really believe that at the core, kindness, sympathy, empathy, compassion, all wrap up where we become a more loving, yeah, gracious people. And loving, you know, compassion is it's a solid thing. It's yeah, actionable. Absolutely. It is, you know, courageous. Not, it's that is one of the main um, results of research on compassion is that it requires when you feel that initial empathetic distress to act in courage as opposed to kind of shrinking back. And forth. I I love it because I know from a personal experience and seeing it happen in people just across the board that when this happens soon you'll think better of yourself mm -hmm. and you'll feel better about yourself because you acted better for someone else. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, that's tweetable. Yeah. Right there. That is good. I mean, the Bible 
you know, speaks about Jesus being moved with compassion mm. because they were confused and helpless. Yeah, I can't think of I can't think of anything that's more apt to today to be able to say, oh gosh, yeah, we do live in a world that feels helpless and confused, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so the opportunity to speak into that because the world has tasted a lot of what we have to say mm-hmm. as as believers, mm-hmm. you know, as followers of Jesus, but they just can't stand the way we model it. Yeah, um, and so. I think when we can enter into a world with kindness, sympathy, empathy, and compassion, we're moving from just what we say to modeling the life of Jesus himself. Yeah. So now whether you believe in Jesus or not, I think history would say, okay, the world would be better if we all get a little more like Jesus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So well, why not? Yeah. I think that when we're able to really understand that people are responding out of their own needs or their own deficits or to have this reframe of, you know what, I bet they're doing the best they can in this moment. We are better able to connect to the world around us from a place of compassion versus judgment. Because that's where we end up landing if we're not compassionate. And those two, that is a juxtaposition, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Kindness and compassion versus judgment. Yeah. And it requires curiosity. You know, my, my son's preschool teacher quoted my favorite quote the other day. She said, be curious, not judgmental. I love that. And I think curiosity is what really leads us into a place of being able to have that sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Yeah. It's almost like you need to eat, eat. It's almost like you need to insert mm-hmm. this curiosity piece between sympathy and empathy mm-hmm. because it's like I'm going from, oh, I feel sorry, to I want to enter into it, understand it more. Wonder, yeah. And then when I get inside and close and it's more complex, mm-hmm. which means i got to figure out how then do I act with compassion, right. not just a blanket, well, this is how you ought to be. Mm-hmm. Well, and once you enter into someone else's experience, that really crucial empathy piece, then you can help support them from their vantage point versus sympathy is just thinking, this is how I think about it. Right. And you might not be actually serving them in the way that they need until you really enter into what they're experiencing. Okay. The whole podcast was worth that last statement. I love that because I think that's so true. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, from Julie and I both, we want to thank you for joining us on this week's Positive Talk podcast. And you know, when you put a therapist and a pastor together, it's so much fun to see how faith and psychology really are a hand-in-glove experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, faith is not at odds with psychology any more than psychology is at odds with faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Creator wired us in this way. When I think about just what happens in our body when we're actually gracious and kind, it's just fascinating, right? It is. And it all happens in our head. Mm-hmm. In our bodies, too. Yeah. yeah. And so I just encourage you to listen to all of our podcasts and share them freely on your social media networks and with friends that you know might have a real get a encouragement mm-hmm. from this podcast. We're grateful that you allow us to step into your life, and thank you for listening. You can always find both seasons, season one and season two, at PositiveTalkPodcast.com, and really hope that you'll join us on Instagram at Positive Talk Podcast. So thanks again for listening. Go in peace and have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Julie and Chuck will be back next Thursday with another positive conversation as they merge faith and psychology. Have a great day, and as always, go in peace.